Hi, this is Dr. Linda Mintel. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast of the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. Our website is filled with more encouraging interviews, all accessible at MyFaithRadio.com. Do everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Mintel, the relationship doctor, and I'm here along with my co-host, the other Dr. Mintel, my husband, Norm. Hey. And every weekend we're here, we're doing life together, and we're so glad you've joined us. We are, no matter when you're listening, if you're listening on the weekend or a podcast and you're out for a jog, hi, how are you? How's the jogging going? Are you breathing? Are you... Yeah, yeah, I listen actually when I'm jog, when I'm out. I'm not jogging, right. I'm walking, but right. I, I listen. You know, several years ago, Linda, you trained in a couples therapy with a nationally known researcher, Dr. John Gottman and his wife who is also a couples therapist. They're the ones who coined the term masters and disasters of relationships based on their research. So today we want to look into that. What makes a good relationship? And let's also find out what leads to disaster. Yeah, do you, I, I, love the, I love the play on that, masters yeah. and disasters. Um, yeah, that was a great training. And uh, I've actually uh, used it many, many times. As you know, I'm a family and marital therapist. So I've done a lot, a lot of couples therapy in my life. But Norm, what if I told you I could predict which newlywed couples will remain married and which ones will divorce four to six years later? No, you can't. And what if I was right 90% of the time? Okay. Well, that's what marital researcher Dr. Gottman claims. Okay, you have my total attention. Tell me more. <laughs> okay, so in a, in a 1998 study, a long time ago, so this model has been around for a long time. Yeah. It's been heavily researched, so we know that the data is good. He developed a model to predict which newlywed couples would remain married and which ones would divorce four to six years later. Wow. He claims that he has around 90% accuracy. He also claims... 81% accuracy for another model to predict which marriages will survive after seven to nine years. Wow. So he's done a lot of work on this, so. and he's learned to predict which couples will eventually divorce and which ones will remain married. Wow. Okay, let's try and get this clear. None of this research is based on the role faith plays in no. a marriage, right? Okay. No. Now, that's that's true, but I have I have trained in this model. I know this model, and when Dr. Gottman was actually doing these conferences, they invited me to come and to do an after session for Christian couples where we would talk about what parts of the model are, com yeah, are compatible to Christian oh. thinking and where it veers off. And a lot of it is, most of it, I would say, is very compatible with biblical principles. So this okay. is one of the reasons why I've adopted it and used it a lot in my sure. therapy practice. Okay, help us discover what he's looking for that helps him predict with such accuracy the success of a marriage. All right, so we're going to focus on the disaster side oh, okay. because that's the part you want to avoid. Right? When we're doing this? No kidding. So disasters. So he has this process that leads to emotional distance and predicts divorce on something he calls 
the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Wait a minute, I've heard that before <laughs> yes, somewhere. You have. <laughs> so I say, isn't it? Now he's he's Jewish, as right. I as I as I know who he is. Um, I don't know that he. I don't know if he's practicing or not. But that he obviously knew something about sure. Revelation, and that term comes right out right. of there. It comes straight from the Bible. Yeah. The idea is impending doom. Yeah. The four horses: death, famine, war, and conquest. So, how does that apply to relationships? <laughs> well, he took the four horsemen idea, and he figured out here's the four horsemen that lead to doom. And destruction in relationships. Oh, okay. And so, um, again, he's not coming from a Christian perspective, but uh, I think these four horsemen can be very helpful. Okay. So back to the horsemen and the relationship disasters. What's the first one? All right. The first one is criticism. Oh. So we know biblically that we're supposed to avoid a critical spirit, right? right, right. So right there, it's compatible mm-hmm. about being critical. Um, what he is saying is that... If you constantly are critical in your relationship with somebody, that is going to be the beginning of this pathway down a road that will eventually lead you to emotional distance Mm -hmm. and then eventually to um, Mm -hmm. divorce, potentially divorce. Mm -hmm. And so part of this is, is when you're criticizing somebody, you're elevating yourself. And we know, again, in the scripture, it says to be careful about that because you're not better than somebody else. Right, right. So what is the antidote to this criticism that leads us to disaster? What Gottman tells you to do is he says, complain about a problem. That's fine. But that complaint is very different than when you're criticizing the person. So he doesn't, he's not telling us, don't bring up problems. Don't ever say anything that's problematic in your relationship. Bring it up as a concern, as a complaint, but not as an attack on the other person. So what's the antidote? Give us some real practical language we could use. Um, You could say something like, uh, Norm, um, I've been feeling a little bit upset about the dishes sitting in the sink all the time. Um, I'd like to have a conversation about that and see if there's some way we can work something out. As opposed to blame. Norm, you never do the dishes. This is the third time I've had to say something. Every look how easy that comes. Yeah, yeah. And that's a lot of times what we do. So again, it's he's not saying avoid the problem. He's saying the way you bring it up is very, very important. That reminds me of my mom before we got married. She said, "What's your one piece of advice?" And she said, "Every time you argue, never say never or always." Yeah, and we really thought about that because I think about it to this day. Because something doesn't happen all the time, and it doesn't happen never. You never clean the right. I probably cleaned once. You know, <laughs> um, no, I clean a lot because I'm German. <laughs> we clean. That's what we do when we're German. All right. What's the second horseman? Okay, so a lot of criticism leads mm-hmm. to defensiveness. Uh. So when you're defensive, you don't listen. Mm-hmm. So the goal is not to defeat the person that you're in a relationship with. He's not your opponent. You're not trying to win all humiliate the time. Him. Or humiliate, right. right. And that is also something that is not biblical because God loves us unconditionally. When we're in a covenant relationship with someone, we're supposed to love them mm-hmm. unconditionally. So in order to avoid this defensiveness, he says, if you have a conflict, then start with what he calls a gentle startup. Makes sense, but how does it work? So what you do is you don't begin with an accusation, like okay. we just said, mm-hmm. you never clean the dishes, because right. that will make someone defensive. So he says that you do it in a much more gentle way. So you can say, hey, I needed this to get done sooner, 
or, hey, Norm, we agreed on a deadline to have this change made. Um, can you get to that as soon as possible? That's much more gentle than if I were to say, you know, where are the reports you and I filed? You said you'd do them. Couldn't you get it done one time on time? Mm. There's just a big difference. You notice in my voice tone as mm. well. Yeah, but I also noticed a, a, a word. You changed, I need to you. And yeah. it was much more accusatory, it sounded like. Yeah, and that's the antidote to to not say you, 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 but to understand we're a couple. It's we or it's I in terms of working together. So that leads us to uh, another part of this, which is to take responsibility. So, you know, take responsibility. When you take responsibility, you don't get defensive, Mm. right? Describe the problem, acknowledge your part in it, be polite, appreciate the process of working through a problem, and have a positive attitude that you're going to solve something. Okay, I know humans, and what if this gentle startup good idea doesn't work <laughs> and they become defensive anyway? Well, then I, then I would sort of backstep and I would say, look, I'm not trying to criticize you here. I'm not trying to put you down. That's not what I want to do. And I would add, I really care about you. I really want to be closer to you. That, if you. If you kind of do that in the middle of a big conflict, that's going to help get your partner give your partner some reassurance. It's going to indicate to your partner that you're not trying to attack them. You're not trying to criticize and it's going to deescalate the situation. That reminds me of what James says in his book, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, hmm, underline it. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slower to become angry. Boy, if we could all do that. Boy. That's a, it's a good skill to practice right out of the scriptures. Okay. Third horseman is contempt. What about it? Well, it's very destructive, yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, dangerous to relationships. It usually means that the relationship is in trouble. So contempt is fueled by a long-simmering negativity about your partner. And you're sitting there thinking about how much you don't like them. And it shows itself as an attack on someone's sense of self. Mm. So inevitably... Contempt leads to more conflict, uh, a lot of times dangerous types of conflict, high conflict, volatile conflict, mm. uh, doesn't lead to reconciliation. It's virtually norm impossible to resolve a problem when your partner is getting the message that you're disgusted with them and that you are acting in a very condescending way to them and you're acting as if you're their superior. That sounds prideful to me, is it? Yeah. Yeah, because it sounds like you're elevating yourself over someone else. You know, C.S. Lewis, the great writer and theologian and uh, apologist, said, pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. We know God hates it. Yeah, but look look at that quote. It's yeah. a spiritual cancer eating love. Love. Yeah, and and, and so that is so telling, I think, mm-hmm. about the the depth of what contempt can do. And we know from the scripture that is pretty familiar to all of us that pride goes before destruction. So right there, the four horsemen, it's leading to destruction mm-hmm. and a haughty spirit before a fall. Yeah. So many people get that backwards. They say, pride cometh before a fall. No, no, no. It's much worse than that. Pride comes before destruction. Yeah. And you pointed that out because I think I was one of those people who really didn't pay attention to the way that was being said incorrectly a right. lot of times. But yes, in so Colossians 3.8 has the antidote for pride and it says, but now you must 
also rid yourself of all things as these. And it lists the ones you rid yourself. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Sounds like our culture. Sure does. Doesn't it? Mm. And also act differently. Show appreciation and respect. Be humble. Show compassion. Focus on offering daily gestures and expression of appreciation, kindness, support, and love. Mm. These can be as simple as a quick kiss, a stress-reducing conversation, or even spending a few minutes to thank each other for how you support each other. Okay, this is all good, but we have one more horseman to cover, and that's going to help us become a master rather than a disaster in our relationship. So stay with us. We're going to take a short break. More to come on the Dr. Linda Mental Show. The other day, I was cut off the road by a driver. Everything in me wanted to yell, hey, watch out. But I restrained myself, knowing that yelling at the driver would not do so much good. And it wasn't the best way to deal with my anger. Anger easily rises up in most of us. Anger, while a natural emotion, needs to be dealt with in the right way. The Bible tells us, be angry, but do not sin. So what is the biblical way to handle anger? Well, this is a question I answer in my short and easy book to read, Breaking Free from Anger and Unforgiveness. That small book has sold over 130,000 copies because of how practical and helpful it is to everyday living. So if you want to be angry but not sin, practice what Scripture teaches. Breaking Free from Anger and Unforgiveness is available on my website, drlindamintel.com, and online where books are sold. Hi, welcome back. You're listening to the Dr. Linda Mental Show. Today our topic is Masters and Disasters of Relationships. Oh, sounds good, doesn't it? It is. Listen, for more help on this topic and other relationship issues, follow Dr. Linda on her social media at Dr. Linda Mental on X and Instagram, Dr. Linda Mental author and speaker on Facebook, and her website, drlindamental.com, has blogs and links to her many books that she's written, including the one that relates specifically to our topic today, I Married You, Not Your Family, and nine other relationship myths that will ruin your marriage. I just told someone about that this week. I said, this guy's daughter was getting married, and I said, you need to buy her this book. <laughs> well, and you know, it covers this disaster trail. I cover that in this mm-hmm. book because, again, this, this information has been around for a lot of time. So, we've covered three of the four horsemen that we've been talking about that lead to relationship disasters, criticism, defensiveness, and contempt. So that leads us to one last major disaster, something you call stonewalling. Yeah, that was that was Dr. Gottman's last four horsemen. And what he says is that if you have these other three elements, it's going to end up in this place. So they're progressive? They're progressive as you go through this. And I see this, Norm, when couples come to therapy as a last-ditch effort, or they come with their minds already made up to divorce. They're done. They're emotionally distant. Their walls are up. And when you make an effort to address a problem, whether you're attempting to talk about something that is upsetting and you're trying to explain your feelings on a conflict or something, your partner is there and just has this wall in front of them. And they're just not going to respond to the things that are being said. So they basically, when you get to the stonewalling, Mm -hmm. the person has checked out emotionally They're just not there. And a lot of times they're already planning their escape or they have already made 
new plans with somebody else. So this is probably where Gottman comes up with his 91% success rate. I mean, this sounds pretty predictable. Yes, it is very predictable. And, um, you know, if you're in that stonewalling stage, uh, it just gets worse and worse because somebody might pursue and the other person is not going to talk and they're going to distance and it starts to really escalate the conflict. And a lot of times people just just check out. Mm -hmm. They're just not available. Mm -hmm. So what's the antidote to stonewalling? Well, to stop it. (laughs) It's not a, it's a, you know, it, you really have to stop doing it, but then what you have to do is you have to be willing to start emotionally connecting to your Mm. partner again. But how do you do that if you're so far apart? Well, you, you have to be, so this is the issue. So when I see a couple like this, I'll say, okay, here's what has to happen. Instead of turning away from your partner, which is one of the things that Gottman also talks about, you have to turn toward that person. Mm. So, A lot of times in relationships, when people get upset and they don't have good conflict styles, they'll talk to someone outside their relationship. And that person can egg them on or give them bad advice or whatever, or even become emotionally involved with them. It becomes uh, an affair in the making. And so you're turning away from your relationship, which is very dangerous. Mm -hmm. So you always want to turn towards that person. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you might be very, very upset. So part of it is... We teach people to soothe themselves and to calm themselves down because one of the things that Gottman came up with, which is brilliant, is that if your heartbeat goes over 100 beats per minute, you're too emotionally aroused and you're not going to hear a thing your partner says. Wow. So he makes, literally, we have these little pedometers we put on people's fingers and if they, they look at their rate and they're too emotionally aroused and we have to stop they have to do deep breathing. They have to calm down, take a time out, whatever it is, because they're simply not going to listen if they're in that stage. But it seems to me if you don't calm down, the problem becomes you're carrying around this stress. You're carrying around tension and mm-hmm. worse, these ruminating bad feelings about the other person. And this is one of the reasons the Bible tells us to deal with our upsets before the sun goes down. In other words, don't carry them over. Someone asked me one time, what's it like being married to a shrink? I said, I don't know. I've never been married to anybody else. (laughs) But I can tell you this, we deal with our problems and we deal with them right away. And that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, because if you don't, it's going to bring on those feelings of contempt over time. So, you know, you need to be watching the body language of the other person. I mean, we've been married for so many years, we can tell when the other person's upset. We, we can just look at the way our bodies are sure, reacting to the sure. situation. You know, but if you're not real familiar with that, are they crossing their arms? Are their eyebrows furrowed? Are their lips real tense? Do they have a protrude, protruding jaw? Give <laughs> jaw. You, your jaw. You can say it like I'm from New Jersey, That's right? right? Jaw. A protruding jaw or a clenched jaw. Oh. You know, bare teeth are Ooh. sometimes clues to anger. Sounds like an angry dog. Well, and gestures, you know, flailing your arms, posture, protruding your chest out when people wow. get really upset. And when some people get angry, they actually sweat hmm. and they have a flushed face. So if any of that's happening, it'd be a good idea to take a time out. And the truth is, by this point in your relationship, you probably recognize all those nonverbal signs. So let's say there was a fallout and the other person is really, really angry. How do you begin to repair that? Because repair seems like the most important part of learning to turn this from disaster to mastering. It is. And Gottman makes a big deal about repairs because he knows that Two people in a relationship are not always going to agree. There are going to be problems. 
So the trick here to be a master is to say, okay, there was an issue. Now we got to repair that problem so it doesn't keep going down that disastrous path with those four horsemen. So it may seem silly uh, sometimes to do this, but sometimes even making a joke mm. in the middle of a real high conflict can take that that temperature of the conflict down um, and keep things from escalating. So if you're going to do this, Dr. Gottman says that, and this is all based on his research, the consistent failure of repair attempts is a sign of an unhappy future. Mm-hmm. So he looks for, and I look for this too when I'm doing couples work, it's not that people are having problems because they have problems and they're coming in for help. But if they fail to make those repairs, then statistically mm-hmm. the marriage is going to have difficulty surviving mm-hmm. those four horsemen of the apocalypse. But if they learn to repair effectively, then it changes things mm-hmm. and you both can actually stay in that relationship and work through it. So just start really simple. Maybe touch the person, mm-hmm. put your hand on their knee Um you know, try to understand the person's need, whatever it is. Just try to work through an issue and not turn away. Okay, we've talked about nonverbal communication. What about verbal communication? What kinds of words can we use? So I've, I've told people to say things like, okay, can we just start over? Hmm. Can we just take a deep breath? Can we start over? Or maybe you start with, you know, you're right about... And then you say what it is. Acknowledge, basically acknowledging you have a point, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you can say, I feel blamed. Can you rephrase what you're saying? Um, One that I've really taught couples to do a lot is to say, you know, this isn't your problem. It's our problem. Mm. It's an our. It's a we, Mm -hmm. not just one person. Mm -hmm. Um, And then a really good thing to do is to say, I'm sorry. I see your point. Mm-hmm. That will really take the escalation down. That would, yes. I if if the other person's ready to re-explode and and right. and and we often talk about how in these conflicts our self-talk gets in the way. That means you're 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 blaming, and my brain is not listening. I'm just thinking, how do I respond to that? And so my talk, I'm talking to myself about. It. I got to get ready and 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 cover this. I know it seems impossible though in the middle of conflict to. Think clearly. Well, you, you, we can't expect ourselves to just all of a sudden turn a switch and be calm. You have to, you have to calm yourself down. Right. And he says that you should even learn as a couple how to help each other calm down. Mm. So to say I'm sorry, even you know, even that gesture alone calms things down and not pushing it away and just saying okay, smile back. You know, offer some type of you're right. We're getting off track. I think I need a few minutes to calm down before we continue. All of those are repair attempts. Mm-hmm. Taking a time out. <laughs> yeah. So to speak. Yeah. Well, we do know that conflict and friendship are very closely related in marriage, right? And that's really good to remember because the stronger your friendship is going to be, the better your conflict discussions are going to go. So you really have to invest in friendship in your in your relationship, date, have fun together, talk, build these positive experiences so that when you do have an issue and you do make a repair attempt, you're willing to do that because your partner's your friend. That's good. Well, we know this. The idea of repair is God's idea. Mm-hmm. Reconciliation is at the very heart of the gospel. And at its most basic level, reconciliation is about bringing two or more groups, people, parties together to mend the broken relationship so they can walk together. Lots of scripture reminds us to reconcile. And Paul said in Ephesians, forgive each other as God has forgiven you. 
Yeah, and it's not an option. No. It was a command, a command. Jesus said it. And he tells us that we should make reconciliation with those we have issues with. Now, that could be a whole lot of people. Right. Not just your spouse. It could be a lot of people that you have to do that with. And James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other. And when we do that, we're going to be healed. So being able to be honest, open, confessing, uh, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, James says. Mm-hmm. So in other words following those biblical directives and this guidance we're giving you on how to treat each other is totally consistent with what the Bible has to say. Marital researchers have discovered a lot of what's in God's word. What God knew all along. I know, but it's lovely when it happens and I love to see it, especially when it comes from people who are secular and they come upon these principles and they think, wow. And I think, yeah, that's all in the Bible. It's consistent. So you want to be a master in your relation? Then avoid those four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, get to it and see how much better your relationship can be. Well, that's all the time we have today. Many thanks to my co-host, Norm Mental, who makes this show a conversation, and to our technical producer, Katie Sims. From all of us here at Faith Radio, hey, we'll talk to you again next weekend. In the meantime, remember, we're doing life together, and it's better when you don't have to do it alone. Doing life together. Well, thanks for listening to this conversation from the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. These podcasts are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and helping us grow the impact of the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. Also, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player, and you'll never miss a show.